Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO, Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. And today, our last show um, of 2022, we're going to talk about food. Oh, the food, the food, the food. That was an expression that um, we had in a recovery program that I was in for food. It's the food, the food, the food. So I want to talk today, um, you know, and I was I was thinking about what I wanted to highlight in terms of food, where I arrived at was talking about conditioning. Um, and so the reason that I thought about conditioning around food um, is conditioning. One of the definitions of it um, is the process of training or cu- accustoming um, a person to behave in a certain way or to accept certain circumstances. It is not some kind of weakness or character flaw. It's conditioning. Most everything that we do, whether it is, you know, for our benefit or whether it's potentially harming us is due to conditioning. And that means that we can clear it because conditioning can be cleared and replaced um, by practicing something new. So, Um, We're going to go through a whole bunch of ways in which we can potentially be conditioned and ways in which we can clear that and practice new things with our food. So before I get into that, um, I did want to share something with you. I've been having, so I have a long history of uh, gut problems and I've been having what I would, I guess, um, characterize as indigestion, but it's something I hadn't really experienced before in all the trials and tribulations of my gut. And it started in Malta. And so, you know, I'm in another country eating the food of that country. And I thought, hmm, well, maybe there's something about something I'm eating here in Malta, but I'm, I'm in the U S now and it followed me here to the U S and I tried some different types of food and all sorts of things. And I kept thinking, hmm, it doesn't seem to be what I'm eating. It doesn't seem to be time of day. And all of a sudden, um, as I find myself asking my coaching clients how they're doing with their hydration, I start to focus on my own hydration. And over the course of a couple of days of focusing on that, these symptoms that have been plaguing me for months have gone away. Just like that, the magical elixir, water, So if you're feeling a little funky, if your gut's bothering you, if your sleep is a little messed up, if you feel stressed, there are so many things that happen to our bodies and our minds when they are deprived of water. So just a little PSA um, for hydration uh, before we talk about our food. Okay, so we've talked about conditioning and we've talked about the fact that our conditioning is not a weakness or a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with us. We're simply conditioned. So last week, my nephew was visiting and 
my mom and my nephew and I went out to um, one of my mom's favorite restaurants. Um, and it's a restaurant that I've gone to with her um, a number of times since I've been staying with her um, off and on um, over this last year. And I ordered something that I often order, the Chipino, um, which is a seafood stew. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's really just a whole bunch of different kinds of seafood in a tomato broth with some um, chunks of tomato in it. So I'm sitting there and I'm eating my chipino and um, unusually the fish, um, which usually there's white fish or salmon or both, um, it's usually just flaky and moist. Nope, I'm not afraid of the word moist. Um, it's flaky and moist and delicious. On this particular night, the fish is overcooked. Um, for my taste, some of you might prefer a, you know, a more well done fish. I do, I do not. Um, it actually kind of upsets me when my my fish or my meat is overcooked. So here's what I find, though. So here's what I find myself doing. I find myself eating the fish first that is overcooked that I don't actually like. Thinking, well, I'm just going to get get this out of the way so that I can then eat the remaining things that I do like because they're not overcooked. And in the course of doing this, I'm silently doing this, um, and we're chatting um, with each other. And I can't remember how it comes up, but um, oysters come up. I, I love pretty much all seafood, but I, I don't like oysters. Uh, and so I start to recount this story about when I'm uh, little. And I tell my mom, well, remember when you used to make oysters and you would bread them and fry them. Um, which if I was going to get one down, that was going to be the only way. And so um, on oyster night, everyone else enjoyed the oysters. I, I did not. Um, but part of what was required of me when I was growing up is to eat some of everything that was prepared. So we weren't allowed to say, you know, I don't like that. So I'm just not going to eat it or I'm going to eat something different. If it was, if it was part of the dinner, it was prepared, um, then you ate it. So there I would sit with my two my two oysters because that was the that was the prescribed amount, and I would proceed to dump ketchup on them and cut them up as quickly as I could and put them in my mouth and chew them up and swallow them as fast as I could because I didn't like them and I wanted to just get them out of the way so I could move on to eating the other things that were with the meal the the vegetable the salad or the vegetable or the bread. Um, we always had a pretty well rounded. Um, meal growing up. So that is how strong conditioning is. Okay. As much work as I've done on my food, on myself, on my relationship with myself, on my relationship with my body, my relationship with my food, there I am doing something that was conditioned so early on, and I'm not even aware of it until I'm aware of it. Uh, and so um, one of the things that I'm going to change, um, I'm going to suggest when we get toward the end of the show today, that that if you're you know wanting to change your food, that you just pick one thing, um, that you don't try to just overhaul everything, which can be totally overwhelming. Um, my one thing is that I'm going to eat what I like the most first, so that if I get kind of full, then what I leave is what I don't like as much. It sounds it sounds pretty logical, but woo, conditioning is strong. So um, as I said, we were required to eat some of everything. Um, also, the rule was if you take it, you you need to eat it. And so 
you know, the idea behind that is fine, right? Which is that, you know, don't waste food and don't take food that someone else could have eaten if if it's if you're not going to eat it. But it also instilled that if you take it, you eat it and you eat it regardless. You eat it regardless of how you feel. Even if you're very, very full, the idea was you got to eat it anyway because you took it. And also, and I think many of you will probably recognize this, um, eat everything on your plate. So we were we were required to clean our plate. And this comes from a time when, you know, maybe things were a bit more scarce and it was super important not to waste any food. Um, but again, you know, the idea of that, it doesn't come from a bad place. But in terms of conditioning, um, you are eating everything on your plate, regardless of how your body feels. And so you can inadvertently be conditioning your body to only stop when it's overly full, when it feels stuffed. And that becomes more the norm. Um, the other thing that my dad would say to me when he would see me struggling is, well, at least eat your meat. And that showed up um, with my little Chipino story, right? Because I was really focused on the necessity of eating the all important protein, which again, if if you have to make a choice, yes, eat the protein. Protein is great for you. It burns long. It doesn't necessarily usually spike your blood sugar. So nothing wrong with the intent there, but if you're too full, you're too full. If you're too full, don't eat the meat. Um, so we were typical, I would say, as a family um, growing up. We had well-rounded meals um, prepared with love by my mom, who must have just been so, God, she must have gotten so tired of that. Um, but we, we really had wonderful meals, and we used food as celebration. Um, as many of us do, and reward. So when we got good grades, we went out for a big juicy steak, um, and we really didn't we really didn't have any scarcity. So um, additionally, there was always sugar around, and you know our norm was to have dessert, um, not right after dinner, like not while we were still sitting at the table, but later. Um, and there was always ice cream and chocolate sauce and. My mom baked, um, as she still does. She still, every other week, she bakes cookies for her friends at um, at the local, at one of her local spots, the Naughty Mermaid. And um, she baked for us. And so there was always, you know, something homemade and delicious. And so that was just part of, um, part of our food, breakfast, lunch, dinner, um, dessert. Now, where sugar comes in is, it was rather compelling to me. Um, so when the food was, you know, mostly provided to me when I was younger in certain amounts and I would eat what was provided, I really didn't experience any problems. But then when I had access to sugar um, and I and the portion size was not moderated per se, um, that would actually be a little bit more difficult for me. So for instance, my mom and I, when we would go shopping together, I think back then it was Sears maybe that still had a candy counter with the little red and white striped candy bags. And my dad, um, his favorite candy was a peanut cluster. And so when we would go to the mall, my dad would say, you know, don't forget to bring me a surprise, which wasn't really a surprise. It was peanut clusters. 
And I always knew that when we were waiting in line to get his peanut clusters, I was going to get to get my favorite, which was malt balls. Okay. So uh, if you don't know what a malt ball is, it's so it's basically like a whopper um, with, with the malt in the middle, but um, the, the outside, the chocolatey outside was super thick. So these were, these were pretty rich. And we would come home and my mom would send me off um, with the same, th- this was what she'd say, okay, don't make yourself sick. So I would, <laughs> I would go off to my room and proceed to eat until I was sick. So I don't think this is not that unusual, right? For kids to be compelled by sugar. But I will say that that particular pattern, once I started to put sugar in, if I had access to more sugar, I continued to eat more sugar until um, I was uncomfortable. Um, So um, fast forward, um, I have a relatively normal relationship with food, but I'm highly compelled by sugar. Um, Fast forward to my mom goes back to work um, and I'm in, I feel like right around fourth grade and I start to, we move to a new house um, and I'm now um, to walk home by myself and let myself in and I'm home for a couple of hours. um, I want to say maybe two to three hours because my mom's at work. um, My dad he's a teacher, but he also coaches football. So he's almost always busy, um, after school hours and my brother's an athlete. So he's almost always participating in, um, sports of some kind, um, and, or working. And so, you know, I'm there by myself and, um, I do feel, a, a strange presence in this house, um, that is new to me um, that I didn't necessarily fill in in the little yellow house where I originally grew up. So we moved to this larger house. I'm coming home um, and have several hours by myself. And I feel a sort of ghostly, um, not so friendly uh, presence in that house, which I felt until the day I moved out of it to go to college. Um, And I'm scared. And so in order to manage that fear, I begin to eat Um, and I begin to eat in a way where food really stops being food. Food becomes anesthesia. Um, And so I come home, I take some food out of a lot of different packages. So bags and boxes, there's lots of hostess things and, and chips and Fritos and ding dongs and you know, all, all that stuff. And again, um, that was just a normal um, thing that was around in our house. There was, you know, regular straightforward food, and then there was um, some snack foods. And so in order to hide um, the amount that I was eating, I would take something from everywhere. And so it was, it was just kind of invisible. And I would eat until I felt like I was going to burst. And then I would, you know, stop and kind of make sure that there was no evidence of, of that happening and, um, you know, go upstairs and, you know, make sure my homework was done and all the things that were expected of me, um, were done. And then when I was called down to dinner, I would come to dinner and eat dinner, um, and do all the things that I mentioned, um, you know, eat some of everything, clean my plate, and, and this is after eating an immense, immense amount of food already 
um, just just a couple of hours before. And so again, I am conditioning myself and I'm conditioning my body to eat well past the point of satiety, but also of satiation and also, um, you know, well past any comfort. And so when you start with the, you know, I eat sugar until I'm basically sick and that's really the only thing that stops me. And then I am, you know, I'm scared um, and I'm not talking about being scared and I'm not talking about um, the ways in which I'm suffering. Um, So I begin to use food as anesthesia. Um, And then, um, you know, fast forward a little while later and I start to use alcohol um, and drugs. And in my early teens, um, I, you know, I become sexually active and, and start ultimately using men. Um, and so the food, um, it takes a bit of a backseat, although um, there are still binges going on because again, I really have conditioned myself to eat in a way that has really nothing to do with n- true nutrition and has nothing to do with supporting my body and is far from kind. So um, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about how I found recovery, what that food addiction ended up looking like, and how I found recovery. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. 
Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host. And today we're talking about our relationship with food. So before we went to break, I was telling you that um, at a certain point, my relationship with drugs and alcohol and love and sex really dwarfed my relationship with food, but it was always kind of simmering in the background. Um, So I went hard um, at the drugs and the alcohol. And over the course of about five years, um, I found myself um, at a bottom with it that um, led me into treatment. And in treatment, um, I began to eat. Now, when I went into treatment, I was kind of emaciated. Um, not so much because I wasn't eating, but I just was living fast and doing a lot. And there was a lot going on. And so I was quite thin um, when I went into treatment. And there were pancakes and cake and all sorts of things going on in there. You can imagine, um, you know, the food that they prepare for a bunch of adolescents in, in treatment. Um, and additionally I had insomnia and I would get up and the, um, the staff would, you know, let me stay up and chat and, um, give me fudge sickles and stuff like that. So, um, food came back with a roar because, um, the alcohol and the drugs were gone. And, it, just because you take those away, it doesn't mean that your need for anesthesia is gone because underneath everything is our relationship with ourself. So my relationship with myself and whether or not I liked myself, respected myself, loved myself, treated myself with compassion, those things were really not happening. So there was a lot of suffering being generated just by my sort of lack of friendliness toward myself. And that's just a byproduct of all the things we're taught um, about ourselves, ultimately that we're not enough, that we're not good enough, that we need to be improved, just all the things that that we talk about on this show and that we all um, live with day to day. So I come out of treatment and, you know, that in itself being, being uh, going into your senior year of high school as a clean and sober person, um, having been somebody who was known as something quite different from that, um, it's already uh, pretty jarring. And and so I come out and I go back to um, a guy that I was seeing who was a liar and a philanderer and who broke my heart and, you know, like a moth to a flame. I go back and he pinches like this little bit of flesh on my side um, and and is aghast that I have gained a little bit of weight in treatment. And he makes a comment on it. And he, he just seems shocked as if I'm somehow immune uh, from gaining weight, which of course I'm not, none of us are. Um, and that was, wow. Um, because I absolutely had some really tough, um, and high expectations already of myself because I was socialized, um, to believe that 
you know, it was important for a woman to be attractive and in order for a woman to be attractive, um, she had to be thin. So, you know, that, um, for me coming up in the seventies, um, you know, that I already believed. And then to have a man, um, so directly, um, disapprove of this little bit of skin, um, really is all it was. Um, but I, but I believed it. Right. So when these things happen to us, it really comes down to whether we believe them. So was that, was that wrong? Was that not okay for him to do? Of course it was wrong. It was, it was not okay. Um, but I didn't know that at the time I didn't think, well, that's wrong. That's not okay. Of course I didn't like it, but, but I immediately thought, oh my God, you know, I better be careful. I got to do something about that. Uh, I'm not supposed to gain weight. And so, um, you know, the food comes back though with a vengeance and I begin to have, um, gastrointestinal issues because of the way that I'm eating. Um, I was diagnosed with gallbladder disease at the age of 20, um, and, and had to have it removed. How much my food impacted that, you know, is unknown, but I, I can't imagine that, you know, a 20 year old with, with gallstones doesn't have something to do with a very heavy kind of fatty diet, um, that I was, was eating in the years leading up to that. Um, and you know, I graduate and I knew that I wanted to be an addiction specialist. So I actually started my career, um, before my senior year in college. So my last year of college, I was finishing college. Um, and I was also working full time, um, as an addiction specialist, getting all the hours that are required in order for us to become certified. And I was, I was eating in a way that, um, showed up on my body. Um, and so I am also at this point engaged, um, to a much older man, um, and who I eventually marry. Um, and when my body starts to become bigger, um, just as that original boyfriend had done, and actually the boyfriend after him, who I remember saying to me, um, you're not noticeably fat is what he said to me. And what he meant, because my size was relatively small at that time, what he was saying is you're not very muscular. He was basically saying, well, you may not be fat per se, um, but you're pretty soft, uh, was kind of the message there. So again, uh, disapproval, uh, by, uh, a man that I was with. So, Okay. So now I'm with a much older man. Um, and I do, uh, marry him. And from the beginning we ate together. So this is somebody who had pretty similar, um, food behavior to me and had pretty wide, um, fluctuations in his own weight. However, when I started to become bigger, um, he called me fat unattractive, not the woman he fell in love with. I can remember, you know, standing in the kitchen, eating some saltines and him saying, do you really think that you should be eating that? So, so I'm in the grips of food. Okay. And I'm, I'm using food as anesthesia 
the food is causing my body to become larger and I'm already pretty self-hating just because I've been, you know, socialized to um, believe that I needed to look a certain way and to be a certain type of thin in order to really be um, valuable and attractive. And the person who, you know, the, <laughs> the person who in theory uh, is supposed to love you and accept you no matter what literally snatches his love away because I don't look the way that he wants me to look. Now I'm, I am um, cognizant of the fact that his ego is at play here, that he feels a certain way about himself based upon my appearance and me being next to him. I know this, but it doesn't, it doesn't really help anything, right? Because I'm still just riddled um, with self-hatred and I'm now experiencing life in the U.S. as an overweight um, woman because my weight has crept up to, I don't know, wherever that invisible line is, I guess, where we cross and we then become um, overweight and subjected to judgment and you know, in some cases, just invisibility. So when we're deemed, you know, not not to meet the um, the uh, idea of attractiveness, we become invisible. But also sometimes we actually become subjected to um, scorn. So in my case, like men who I didn't even know would go out of their way um, to say, you know, really mean and hurtful things to me about my body. Um, because apparently it not being the size that they thought it should be was uh, offensive to them. Um, but here's the thing. Um, the weight is but a symptom. I didn't have a weight problem. I had a food problem. And the food was actually anesthesia. So it follows that it wasn't even really a food problem. It was more the absence of love and compassion and acceptance of myself. Rejection of yourself, denial of yourself, or just believing that you're not good enough, it creates constant suffering. And that suffering cries out for anesthesia. And so food happened to be what I reached for. And I know that many people um, reach for food. So there I am in my body at its largest size. And I come across um, a diet in the back of Red Book magazine. And, you know, it costs like 14 bucks or something to to buy this, this book that's going to revolutionize my, uh, my food and my body. And it's going to be the final solution because over these years that I had been in the grips of food and self-hate and hatred of my body and subject to a ton of criticism um, over my size and the disillusionment that one feels when one is no longer considered, you know, valuable and attractive simply because um, your, you know, your weight is different. Um, and and I had tried many many things. I was a watcher of infomercials and a buyer of things off of infomercials. I had a Pilates performer and a solo flex. And 
a trampoline and papaya supplements. And oh my gosh, I can't even remember everything because I was always trying to kind of cheat the truth in a way, right? Like I was always trying to find a path to a smaller body, but not really addressing the true source of everything. And so I'm, I'm inundating my body with food that is putting weight on it. And then I'm, you know, I'm trying to counteract it with um, just the bluntest, the bluntest of tools, right. That are really never going to work. So the book comes and I read the book um, cover to cover. And um, what's made very clear in it is that there's no sugar um, and that there are certain portions of food that you can eat in a day and that there are certain types of food that you can eat in a day in certain amounts and that you're supposed to use a scale in order to um, understand portion size. So I'm, I'm at my heaviest at this point and uh, which is maybe 75 or 80 pounds more than what I am now, just to kind of give you an idea um, of that. And so I do this diet um, as written for a number of months and the weight um, falls off of me. So the, then when the weight falls off, then the approval comes, right? So I start getting approval from men, from strangers, some from my husband, but there's an interesting dynamic um, where he both approves of it, but also tries to derail me um, and get me to eat with him. So yeah, that's an, <laughs> that's an interesting and unsupportive dynamic. And so um, one of the things that I start to do um, because the conditioning, um, all the, the previous conditioning of kind of a, being a slow methodical binger, if you will, I was not a, not somebody who really shoved a lot of food in fast. Like I would literally sit and binge for hours. Um, and that I, you know, I had not really freed myself of that. And so I find myself, um, eating some air popped popcorn with, I can't believe it's not butter spray on it, which is what I was doing in order to kind of maintain that binging behavior, but to try to keep the weight off. And um, because I had also started to clear some of that binging conditioning, because once you started to, once I started to control portion sizes, my body started to get used to not feeling overly stuffed and boy, did it feel much better and lighter and less painful and less gut symptoms. But remember, I, I really didn't like myself yet. So I'm fighting. I'm fighting with the food and I'm managing the food because it's still anesthesia because I'm still suffering um, underneath it. And so I eat this big bowl of, a bowl of air pop popcorn and I, I it felt like too much and it triggered, um, it triggered fear. It triggered the self-hatred. It triggered all those messages about, you know, you have to be thin. If you're not thin, you're not going to be valuable. You're not going to be accepted. You're never going to have anything. And so I go into the little powder room and in our home and I purge, um, for the first time, um, you know, on purpose. Uh, and I know what that is. Okay. I'm an addiction specialist. Remember 
I know what bulimia is. I don't call it that though. When it's you, sometimes you, you don't call it that. Um, so I knew what it was, but I ended up thinking, you know, I was successful if, if that's not a great word to use for it, but anybody that, that purges or tries to purge, it's, it's, it's not for everybody. Some of us can do it and some of us can't. Unfortunately, um, I was one of the people that, that can. And so I decided that that was probably my solution, that I could just eat whatever I wanted and stop trying to fight um, with a diet and then just purge the food. Because ultimately, again, n- none of this has to do with caring for myself, loving myself, liking myself, caring for my body. It has to do with using food as anesthesia, but trying to control the size of my body um, and b- because it's fueled by self-hatred and, and judgment, judgment by myself and um, judgment by, um, by other people. Um, and so um, 10 years. So 10 years I spend um, on my knees um, with my head in the toilet um, having to wipe off my face and the toilet and the baseboards and the walls and my hair and to hide um, the shame of this eating disorder while trying to walk through the world appearing uh, normal and helping other people um, with their addictions, which in some cases included having patients on my caseload um, who were alcoholic and had co-occurring eating disorders. And I'll tell you what, I had absolutely no idea how to help them. So we're coming up on a break and um, I'm going to talk through um, the the magic of um, food recovery and also the transition from structured food recovery to a more natural, friendly, supportive relationship with myself, my body, and my food. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and today we're talking about your relationship with food. So before the break, um, I was telling you that my uh, relationship with food culminated in a pretty um, significant eating disorder. And I, through a series of wonderful um, events, found food recovery in a 12-step-based program. So there are a handful of 12-step food programs. Um, I'm not going to mention the name of the program that I did, only because um, one of the traditions is to maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. So if you hear something in um, the, this new conditioning um, that I was able to achieve in this program, and you and you want to know more about that program and some of the other ones, you can contact me through my website at giraffetangooctopus.com, or you can find me across social media platforms at GTO Coaching, and I would be happy to talk with you about your food as well as give you information about um, the availability of 12-step programs, if that's something that you're interested in. So for me, a 12-step program was a great fit because I had gone to treatment, as I mentioned, when I was a teenager um, and had been clean and sober since then. And so I'd been to lots and lots of um, meetings, lots and lots of the anonymouses um, in order to um, build that recovery. So find my way with a friend, with the help of a friend to a food recovery program. And so here, here are the things that I learned in that program that helped me to clear that old conditioning and then led me to what I have now, which is just a very sort of easy, friendly, much more free relationship with food. So in this program, I ate three weighed and measured meals each day with nothing in between. Um, except um, beverages, coffee, tea, um, diet soda, which I gave up um, because of the chemicals in it. So in between just coffee, tea, or water. Um, One of the main things that I learned right away that is still true for me and that I still um, recommend to people who are struggling with food and looking to make a change, some foods are not for me. Some foods are not my food. Now, in my case, sugar and grain are not for me. Um, Those things are absent from that particular recovery program. And what I learned was that those those types of foods um, activate craving in me. Just that those are the things that alcohol is typically made of, sugar and grain. So just like when I began to drink alcohol, I found that I could not stop. Like I tend not to stop until I drop. Something similar happens when I introduce sugar or grain in the form of food. And so removing those as part of this program, it it was in some ways miraculous. The the cravings went away. Um, and so I didn't feel compelled. And over time, your food becomes visible to you. And food that is not your food becomes invisible to you. 
So when I look at a menu now, for instance, I don't see food that's not my food. I only see food that is my food. And so I choose from that. So I in no way feel restricted. I feel privileged really to have this information and to have gotten to practice this um, in this structured program. Um, three meals a day is is plenty. Um, I found that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little looser nowadays, um, but in that program, you know, I found that it really isn't necessary to eat between meals right around the time um, I would get hungry. It was roughly the time um, to eat. Now, a note about hunger. Um, hunger is not an emergency. I know it can feel like an emergency, um, but most of us can go quite a long time without any food as long as we're, you know, getting hydrated. And I, I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting you fast or go without food. But if you need to, to be hungry until you can get to your food, food that is good for your body, that you know doesn't activate craving, that doesn't make your body feel bad, that doesn't make you feel bad about yourself, you know, just kind of get used to being hungry a little bit. I find it almost pleasurable in a way because when I do eat, it, 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 you know, it, it feels wonderful to eat when you're hungry. Um, one of the other things I learned, uh, it is possible to eat grain-free and sugar-free. Whole vegetables, fruits, proteins, and fats are plentiful, and there's so many options. I am a label reader. Um, I absolutely learned to read labels, and I learned that um, the ingredients on the label are listed in the order that they occur in the food. So if sugar is in the first several ingredients, that means that 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 product that you're that you're looking at that label you're reading is probably pretty high in sugar content and if that's something that you're going to choose to avoid you might want to take a pass um i maintained my food plan when i traveled i traveled to a lot of different countries with a lot of different kinds of food and and language barriers um i i've gone through many many holidays and special occasions and birthdays and weddings and all those things it takes planning and ultimately it takes caring more about yourself than about how you look to other people or whether you can participate in a certain sort of communal, um, you know, food tradition. How important is that food tradition or, or participating in it versus how important is your peace and the health of your body and the health of your mind and your spirit? I also learned through my own experience, but also through the experience of the people that um, shared in that program, that food is medicine. So just like it's medicine, it is also uh, poison. And so I also, um, so 10 years after that gallbladder disease diagnosis, I got a Crohn's disease um, diagnosis. And so I was having um, Crohn's flares, of course, because of the way that I was eating. And once I um, started this uh, recovery program with food, those flares went away. And so my Crohn's disease um, is managed um, with a grain-free, sugar-free diet, which is actually recommended um, for people with, with Crohn's and ulcerative um, colitis. And I can tell you, at least from my own experience, um, that it 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 can work depending upon the severity of um, your particular illness. 
Um, so, you know, eating foods that are nutritious and plentiful enough to satiate you does take some planning. If you're conditioned to grab and go um, or to only eat out or to only eat when you're famished, um, this is this is just that. This is conditioning and it can be changed. Um, centering your food and nutrition and hydration ahead of pretty much most everything else, um, which <laughs> I know maybe that sounds like, wow, really? Uh, like that sounds like kind of a, a, a big idea. But if you think about it, it is the very, very basics of self-care and it's going to support you in the ups and downs um, of life. So for instance, when I had cancer, um, I was in this food recovery program and it it anchored me. So even though I couldn't eat exactly the same um, when I had cancer as I, as I was eating um, when I wasn't having the cancer treatment because I had the mouth ulcers and textures and tastes and um, I had some awful um, gastrointestinal uh, side effects and stuff, I still was anchored in my food program. And I really feel um, as though it helped me not only to get through it, but to recover because I was feeding my body um, nutritious food in amounts that were that were right for it at the time. There was also um, fellowship. So of course, one of the um, one of the most effective strategies, right, um, at managing an addiction is 12-step fellowship. Um, and one of the factors there is the actual fellowship. So being around people who are who are doing something similar to what you're doing or who understand you and understand, um, you know, what you're undertaking it can be incredibly helpful, um, especially when, you know, we encounter, as I've told, told some little stories today, we, when we change our food and when our bodies change, they're, they're, those, those are often subjected to um, judgment or questioning or lack of acceptance from other people. So finding people that support you um, and that are sort of similar minded um, can be incredibly helpful. Um, there are some groups I notice on um, Reddit, for instance, um, and you want to be a little bit uh, careful about what they're doing. There's some calorie restriction groups that I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but there's also some volume eating groups and you know some some groups that are really focusing on um, healthy eating that that you might enjoy if um, twelve step is not is not the right um, choice for you. So, um, so a little bit about that. So I do that. I did that program for close to 17 years and I, I, I didn't, I didn't expect to ever not do that program. Um, it was the only thing that I had found that kept my food addiction ultimately at bay. And I think that, you know, often we're looking for a forever fix or the solution and you know, as humans, we change, we are amorphous. And so it's important to listen carefully to ourselves so that we know whether something is or is not right for us. And that program just stopped being a fit for me. It, it, it was unplanned and unexpected. I, I, 
I was kind of mystified with um, by it actually. Um, and I was fearful, of course, um, of no longer weighing my food and no longer having this really um, distinct structure to work with. But I was bumping up against that structure, not no longer feeling like a kindness to me. Um, and so I took the leap and transitioned out of that um, food program. And, um, you know, I'm experiencing a life now that I honestly didn't think was possible because again, my, you know, most of my life, I have struggled with my relationship with food. And I just always thought that I was going to have to, to sort of tightly management, manage it in order to have some semblance of peace and health. And what I have found now after working on my self-love and my self-acceptance and compassion for myself, that now that I actually like myself and have a friendly relationship with myself, I suffer so much less. So that core suffering that was driving my food behavior doesn't really exist anymore, or at least exists only rarely. And so something magical happened. I no longer felt compelled to eat in a way that was harmful to me. And I can hear my own voice and I can sort of hear and sense what is going on in my own body. And so where I felt out of control before, I feel in control in a way that is honest because I, because everything is a practice after all these years of conditioning, doing something new takes lots and lots and lots of practice. So I am here to help you with that. Um, I have, as I've talked about, extensive experiences with food. If you would like some help, you can reach me at um, Giraffe Tango Octopus at my website. You can find me across social media platforms at GTO Coaching. Um, and um, I do want to quickly just tell you, I have two very exciting guests coming up in January. On the 4th, we have Sherry Huber, um, author of There Is Nothing Wrong With You, a book that utterly turned my life completely inside out for the better. And then Dr. Eric Maisel um, to talk about redesigning our mind on the 11th. Until then, happy new year. Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself, and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.